I just felt the goodness. I was reminded of his goodness. And um, when, there was, when Eric was singing that song, All Your Promises Are in Me, um, the Lord reiterated it, but he reiterated it in a, to me in a way where he said, all my promises are not in you, Jeremy. All your promises are in me. And the times that I've tried to take up the promises of God and accomplish them myself have been the moments when I've put a burden on my shoulder that I was never meant to carry. And I just felt the Lord come close and pull off those burdens and remind us that our promises are in him. We've been entrusted with the light, easy yoke and burden, which is to wait patiently, (laughs) to be faithful with what we've been given, to take risks when he says jump, Um, but he's going to be the one that brings about the promises. Anyway, that's what I felt like the Lord was saying during worship. Uh, I love this church. I was thinking about um, I was thinking about Christmas. Obviously, it's coming up, and I started to take on. <laughs> nice work, Eric. I was just about to talk about you. I was. Uh, <laughs> I actually started taking on like false responsibility, like because it's you know it's the Sunday before Christmas, and this is supposed to be amazing. And um, I'm the one with the microphone in my hand, so I'm the one who's got to make it amazing. And then I came in here, and I saw Eric in his Coca-Cola t-shirt and his cool Green Bay Packer championship hat. He didn't put on a suit and tie. (laughs) And And I thought about Jesus coming in a manger, that the Lord was hidden in something so unsuspecting. He came in a way that you'd never suspect. And uh, almost as bizarre as the king of glory arriving in the manger is Jeremy arriving in a suit coat and tie. (laughs) And, And the Lord was hidden in Eric this morning. And for everyone who who began to honor the moment, honor the Lord, and honor the Lord and Eric, we all got swept up into worship. I just love it. So this morning I was uh, I was at St. Arbuck's where um, it's, the, it's the holy temple for me every Sunday morning, very early. I get up and I spend time praying <clears throat> And, uh, and I have this, I have this seat. I actually pray on the way, like, Lord, let my seat be open because it's like this special corner right by a, a, a power outlet so I can plug in my computer and it'll be all charged up for the sermon. And it's the most comfortable chair in the room too. And, um, and it was open his providence. So I got to sit down and spend time in my super anointed corner and just talk to the Lord about what he wanted to say today because it's Christmas and I had all these ideas. I grew up in the church, so I've heard 32 Christmas sermons. I forgot how old I am. (laughs) 
And so I, I've heard a lot of great stuff. Um, but I, I really wanted to get the word of the Lord for today. And, um, and he took me to Isaiah 7.14, which says, this is, this is the prophet Isaiah. And he says, therefore, the Lord will give, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey. And there's, there's more to the prophecy than that, but um, if you fast forward 700 years, you'll find yourself in Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew chapter 1 opens with this gene- genealogy. It's the it's the lineage of Jesus. And this verse jumped out to me <clears throat> where it said it was um, 14 generations from the exile to the birth of Christ. And, and you'll have to bear with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to geek out. I'm going to nerd out about the Bible for just a second. But this is, this is stuff that I find really, really cool. Isaiah 7.14 is the most famous prophecy about the coming of the Lord. A virgin will be with child. This will be a sign from the Lord himself. A virgin will be with child. And she will call his name Emmanuel. That's 714. Guess what? 700 years later and 14 generations. Isn't that cool? Maybe I just like, I like to nerd out about scripture. There's so many hidden gems in there. That just jumped out to me that he would, and, and for me, that, that's the Lord for me. He was hiding himself right there in that number 714. And I saw him this morning. If you go to um, Luke chapter two with me, we're gonna read a little bit about the birth of our Lord. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the time of a very uh, terrible governmental leader and a really ridiculous decree, which said that 
everyone's going to have to pay their own way to go to you know, whatever city they're supposed to go in order to be registered for the census. In a time when uh, he, it's, it's like an unjust, uncool, lawful decree is when Jesus was born. And he chose to come in one of the darkest moments in history so that that prophecy would be fulfilled. Behold, a land dwelling in great darkness has seen a great light. It doesn't matter how bad it may seem in terms of government and the situations of the the political world in fact, sometimes the, the darker it gets, the more excited the Holy Spirit gets to manifest himself. He's not the kind of guy that runs from darkness. He's the kind of guy that runs to it. <clears throat> and if you read on, um, this part really jumped out to me this morning. Um, but there were shepherds, this is verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. But they were terrified. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. That would be a crazy day if you were a shepherd, don't you think? If you're just out in the fields doing what you do, shepherding, an angel appears. I mean, that's, that's a big enough deal in and of itself. An angel manifests in the natural and begins to give you instructions about the Savior of the world and how to find him. And then just to, to really hammer at home that this is a big deal, heavens open up and there's this giant choir of angels singing, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth and goodwill towards men. It's probably a cooler melody than that. I'm not an angel. <laughs> Has anyone else come into the world in such a fashion? So the shepherds sought out baby Jesus and found him lying there in the manger. And they praised him too. And what stood out to me about this is that the Lord wanted to be surrounded by shepherds. And I began to think about how later in life, uh, in the book of Mark, it says that Jesus looked on us like sheep without a shepherd. That Jesus, the shepherd, came to us because he saw that in the least likely place, 
he would be birthed in you. He looked on us like, a sh- like sheep without a shepherd. He felt compassion. He sat down and taught us many things. So the birth of Jesus was marked by all these dreams, all these angelic encounters, but also great turmoil and chaos. I want you to know that when you are about to birth your destiny in Christ, you'll probably have dreams, maybe even angelic encounters, but you'll definitely have turmoil and chaos. It will be as if you're in labor with something. And when, and when, when you're tempted to... Um, abandon a place of purity of heart. It's not just because the Lord is trying to deprive you of something, but just like Mary, he is trying to birth Christ through a pure vessel. That the temptation for us to abandon our place of purity of heart Single-mindedness to the Lord is not about us laying down something that we want to do. It's about God trying to birth Jesus through us onto planet Earth. About God trying to bring a new move of, of his spirit through us. And you might think, this is totally out of the timing that I would have done this, God. I'm not even married. <laughs> I'm on the run from the law. (laughs) Mary was betrothed to be married to Joseph, and that's when she found herself to be with child. And in... um, in the law, if, he, if, if she were to run into someone who like, really strictly adhered to the law, she could be put to death. Joseph, being a righteous man, decided to keep this secret, marry her in secret, so as to um, shield her from all that, that shame and judgment. And I want to read about that in Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Sorry, I misspoke earlier. What I meant to say is that he was going to divorce her, divorce her not marry her secretly. Uh, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. 
The virgin will be with child, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Right after that, it talks about how the Magi found the Lord. And I tried to, I did some research on who the Magi are, and, you know, there's, there's some stuff out there, but a lot of it is uh, conjecture and speculation. But we do know that um, they were stargazers. And um, the Lord actually used signs in the sky to bring magi, which in my understanding is just short for magicians. The Lord used the stars of the sky to lead unsaved people to the Lord. Now, if that isn't mercy, I don't know what is. You know that there are going to be so many people out in the world, coming to the Lord through signs in the sky, through all sorts of means that we would think are completely ridiculous. But God chose stargazing magicians to be led to him to worship and bring gifts to Jesus in the manger. Isn't that incredible? So the shepherds were sent by singing angels, the magicians were sent by stars, and Mary and Joseph were sent by an unrighteous decree of law. And that's when Jesus decided to come on the scene. The last two weeks I've been talking about the Trinity, which and and the Father's relationship with the Son and the and the Holy Spirit. We just scraped the very edge of it, but they existed before any of this. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost in perfect unity and perfect love. And there came a day when they decided, we need, let's, let us make man in our own image. And they made us, they made Adam. And of course, Adam and Eve had that uh, moment where they, they decided to disobey the Lord and the fall. And this whole time, the God of love is working behind the scenes in a way that we couldn't even understand. He's working and he's knowing that I got to have them back. I got to get them back. And this whole time, the Lord is planning on taking upon himself the weight of our terrible decisions called sin. He's planning on taking on himself the weight of the the ramifications of our disconnection with God. The curse that Jesus himself would be the one who would bear our burdens on on his body on the cross. Out of love. In Isaiah 9, it says, For to us, 
A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 700 years later, Matthew chapter 12, it says, but if I drive out demons, this is Jesus in the flesh saying, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The government is resting on his shoulders. It's called the kingdom of God. And he is called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. 700 years later, Jesus' side was pierced. It says he was pierced for our transgressions. His side was pierced after he was tortured and killed by hanging on a tree. And it says that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. And if you read about Jesus, it says that he became a curse for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Upon him was placed the punishment that brought us peace. You can't make this stuff up. If you, if you read Isaiah and some of the other prophets, but really Isaiah, he, he had such a glimpse into the future about the coming of the Lord. You read the, the, the prophecies that he gave about the coming Lord who would save us. And then a, a, a span of 700 years goes by and, and this man is fulfilling every one of those prophecies. It just opens up our eyes. See, Jesus, he had to represent us to God, and he had to represent God to us. And the only way that he could do that was through the virgin birth. He had to come in a way that had never been seen before. Because if, if the Savior of the world was born by natural means, meaning just a, a human father and a human mother, we would have never believed that he is God in the flesh. But uh, conversely, if he were to come in some like super godly way, if he were to like descend from the clouds and look like Chris Hemsworth with a mighty sword in his hand, like... <laughs> like descending upon the earth in mighty glory, we would have a lot of trouble believing that he was human. And so God did something completely out of the box, completely new, something that had never been seen before so that we could have faith that he is both God and man. He's 100% God and 100% man in one body and will be so forever. forever. This is so that we know that salvation comes from God and not from us. 
Jesus was a gift to the world from the beginning. And he came in a way that no man could have made come about so that we would know that he has a gift of salvation for us that we in no way could bring about. You know, when, when Christmas time comes around, we go up in the attic and we grab our, uh, our nativity scenes. And they're, you know, they're, they're either glass or uh, if you're in our house, they're definitely plastic because we have four children. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we, we line them all up and there's that, you know, nice stable and manger, like the whole scene, you know, we, we, and, and we, we make it, we make it cute and, and, you know, we've told the story again and again that um, maybe, maybe we've become a little bit too familiar with it and, and have forgotten that the Lord of glory decided to come into our realm through an unwed teenage woman who's on the run from the law. And he was born in the accommodations for cattle. He was born in a place that was made for animals. That totally offends my mind to think that the king of glory would come not only as a helpless infant, but also be laid in like a cattle feeder. And the heavens open singing, glory to God in the highest, peace and goodwill towards men. If you read um, in Philippians 2, it talks about uh, how Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus gave up the privileges of his royalty just like Moses gave up the privileges of his royalty. He gave up his omniscience. In other words, his all-knowingness. There were, there were times when Jesus, he didn't know who touched him, you know, the hem of his garment scene. He doesn't even know the, the date of his own return. Only the Father knows that one. He gave up his uh, omnipotence, which means it, it, there, were, there were times when like he wasn't necessarily all powerful. He prayed for that one dude a couple times before he got his sight back, remember? He definitely gave up omnipresence, which God himself has. He gave up the privilege of that to be put, to be birthed, to forever have one body. So if Jesus just has one body, it means that he can't be everywhere at the same time. 
The spirit of the Lord can. This is great news for us because it means that our nature and our abilities are not the same thing. And even though we're not fully functioning as sons of God, it doesn't mean that we're not sons of God, but we're on a journey of obedience and growth just like Jesus who grew. It says that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet didn't sin or yet was without sin. That's in Hebrews 4. See, he had to have a rocky road very similar to our rocky road. He had to have a life that looked just, well, I mean, if you, if you were to look at his life, it's way harder than our life, but he had, to, he had to be tempted in every way that we're tempted. Which means that Jesus was tempted to disobey his parents, cheat on tests. He was tempted to be cranky when he woke up in the morning, short-tempered. He was tempted to uh, dishonor, bad mouth, terrible government leaders and religious leaders. He was tempted to lust after women and lust after men, to lust after wealth and power. He was tempted to beat up people who were being jerks. Jesus. He was tempted to covet the lives of other people who had it easier than him. He was tempted to reject people because he got rejected a lot. He was tempted to give up on people who continuously failed him. And he was tempted to be impatient, to not trust his father, and to take matters into his own hands. He walked this earth with a heart like yours so that you could walk in heaven with a heart like his. He is our faithful, sympathetic high priest. He is able to literally know exactly the emotions, feelings, and pressure that you feel in every and any temptation so that he can pour sympathy, mercy, and strength on you. That when you turn to him, he will have the secret of how he got through it. That moment when he wanted to do that, that moment that you wanted to do that, you turned to him. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief so that we could be people of joy, acquainted with happiness. He was despised and stricken so that we could be loved and put back together. He took on poverty so that we could know the wealth that God created for us to live in. He took on sickness so that we could be whole. He took on every bit 
of separation and rebellion so that we could be reconciled and submitted. The last thing the Lord was uh, talking to me about this morning <clears throat> was uh, the innkeeper. <laughs> there was no room at the inn. And uh, I'm sure it was a, a bizarre moment for that innkeeper to see this young girl, super pregnant, and, and uh, you know, something just didn't seem right. He was probably thinking, I, I don't think I should let this kind of trouble into my hotel. And uh, the Lord said, I, I still show up like that. And that, that innkeeper wasn't rejecting the Lord, or I should say that innkeeper didn't know that he was rejecting the Lord. That innkeeper was rejecting a pregnant teenage girl on the run from the law. He didn't know that if he would have welcomed her in, he would have welcomed the greatest gift in history into his life. And that's for us. The people that we run into, they may look like they're in a mess of life, like they have made a whole bunch of wrong decisions. But if you can see that they are impregnated with God, that Christ is about to be birthed in that person who you think made a whole bunch of wrong choices and is standing on your doorstep now. If we can just see that, we will be welcoming in the very gift of God into our lives. And those people won't have to live in it or birth Christ in this uncomfortable place that they shouldn't be. They'll actually be in your house. So I wanted to stand and just thank the Lord for the gift of God. It's December when we celebrate Christmas, the birth of our Lord. And uh, I think that he wants to do something a whole lot more special this year than other years in our lives. And he wants to do special things in our families. Um, last night, I... Um, I put up a Facebook quote that God had something for every one of us today, and I really believe that. And you might not get it from one message, but the Holy Spirit is here to give us all gifts. And so if you put out your hands like this, this is a, this, this is a proper way to receive a gift. Thank you. <laughs> He's the kind of guy that on his birthday, he gives gifts. You ever heard uh, Bill Johnson does that on his birthday? He gives gifts. Hobbits. <laughs> like hobbits. <laughs> Jesus, right now, we thank you. You decided to give up the privileges of royalty so that we could be given the inheritance of royalty that was meant for you. Jesus, we thank you. You decided to be born in a very uncomfortable way 
in the midst of great darkness and the strongest religious spirit in history. In the midst of uh, what looked like scandal. Jesus, that you came for us. That you didn't regard equality with God something to be grasped. You actually considered us more important than you. And you showed it by laying down your life that we would live. Thank you, Jesus, that in this moment, you are still propping us up. That you are still carrying us on your shoulders. That you're still saying, you're important. That you're still serving. That you're still washing feet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to walk now in the 1 Peter 1.18 blessing of joy unspeakable, full of glory. Thank you, Jesus, that by your sacrifice and resurrection, you've put the Spirit of God in us, that we would never be left as orphans, that you would never leave and never forsake. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you ran towards the brokenhearted, that you ran towards the crushed in spirit. This Christmas, Lord, we want to represent you so well to our family. Ask that you would infect us with a ridiculous amount of joy and love that when we walk into grandma's house or our uncle's house or our in-law's house or our kids' homes, that when we, when we gather together as family, that people literally smell the aroma of Christ, that there will be salvations around our Christmas breakfast tables, lunch tables, and dinner tables, that Christmas Eve there would be salvations as we gather to worship you here. Jesus, that you would open the eyes of our, of our unsaved family members, that you would do for them what you did for us. Father, that you would cause faith to arise in everyone's hearts and our families, that we would believe that you are who you say you are and will do what you said you would do, that you were, you are, and you always will be the one who is worthy of all of our praise, our devotion, and every day of the rest of our lives, Jesus. We ask God that you would give us gifts right now, that you would be our tangible, applicable Savior in our lives. Lord, that you would save us from financial ruin, from broken marriages, that you would save us from addiction right now, Jesus. We ask that you would just give us gifts where you would pull out the very thing that is causing us sorrow and pain in a miraculous way, Lord. Father, that you would be healing bodies, hearts, and minds. We ask for the power, love, and sound mind to come and kick out the spirit of fear. You did not give us fear, but power, love, and sound mind. We receive your gifts, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to show us the Father. You just couldn't help yourself, could you? You had to restore his reputation in our minds. You just couldn't help yourself, Jesus. You had to reconcile us. You had to bring us in. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus.